Welcome to another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. When it comes to Deborah Feingold, honestly, I didn't know where the hell to begin. Why the angst? Well, for starters, she happens to be one of the world's most lauded, respected, iconic photographers. Briefly, because otherwise this intro would last for days, when it comes to the men and women who make music, Deborah has captured images of Madonna, Prince, Mick Jagger, James Brown, B.B. King, Leonard Cohen, Tina Turner, Paul Simon, to name just a few. Deborah's book covers include Barack Obama, The Audacity of Hope, John Boehner's On the House, Samantha B. I Know I Am, But What Are You, Roseanne Cash, Composed, The Rejected Stone, by the Reverend Al Sharpton. Her work has appeared in numerous publications, The Village Voice, Rolling Stone, Musician Magazine, The New York Times, Newsweek. Her book, Jazz Cooks, Portraits and Recipes of the Greats, was published in 1994. Music in 2014, which features the artist whose work has defined decades of popular music. Deborah's taught photography at the International Center of Photography, Parsons School of Design, the New School. She's also featured in the six-part PBS series, Icon, Music Through the Lens, released in 2021. Her work has been exhibited here, there, abroad. Oh yeah, enough already. Let's meet and get to know this amazing creative woman, Deborah. Welcome and thanks so much for joining me remotely today. Well, thank you for having me. You know, Deborah, when I interview dancers or singers and I start with, where did this come from? Invariably, they'll say, you know, I was singing when I came out of the womb and I was dancing out of my crib. When did you start taking pictures and why? <laughs> I started when I was about 12. Uh, there was a dark room in my basement, and I didn't really exactly know what it was. I knew that it was very old, that my brother had used it. And I kind of asked my dad, oh, I'd like to learn how to do that. So when I was 12, with my little cameras, I started taking pictures, and my dad taught me how to develop the film and then print them. And from there, it just became what we called back in the day a hobby mm. that stayed with me until I started earning from it. Was photography your brother and your father's hobby too? No, it wasn't my brother's. But my father dabbled in it a little bit. And he used to print photographs. The only ones that I've seen were of my mom. And he would use this box of Marshall's Oils, which I don't know when the company started, but you know how sometimes you'll see pictures colorized mm -hmm. from way back when? Mm -hmm. Now it's done uh, on the computer and Photoshop or whatever. But back then you actually hand colored them. Wow. So that always was very impressionable on me. But also the other thing is that I, I had uh, photographs. There was uh, photo albums um, of my mom and dad, of their wedding, things like that. And I was really amazed by some of the photographs in it. It was very impressionable. And the one that really struck me the most was of my mother and her identical twin sister. Hmm. And it was a picture of them when they were about seven years old. It was done in a studio and they're dressed in like little uniforms. They tap danced and I don't know what else. And today, if you looked at it, it's straight Diane Arbus. Oh, wow. But, but it just struck me as so fascinating, not just that it was my mom, but just the photo. I, I, there were so many different feelings that I had about it. And uh, just to move forward, if, if, you, if you will, I loved... Fridays as a child because that's when Life Magazine was delivered to the house. Uh -huh. I didn't grow up in a creative environment at all. And so it was something that just was very personal to me. And again, a hobby. Did your parents take a lot of family pictures? Um, my dad always took pictures of us on vacation. Mm -hmm. um, he wasn't someone with a camera that was exploring his world or documenting it, nothing like that. They were truly just snapshots. They were very and, personal. 
Yeah, and I still have them. Wow, wow. <laughs> so here you are at 12 with a camera, and what are you doing with it? Are you taking sh- shots of people? Are you asking folks to pose? Are you taking landscapes? What, what spoke to you back then? In the beginning, or, or perhaps the very first photo shoot where my dad was going to teach me how to develop, I grew up in Cranston, Rhode Island, and we went to the, the park in Providence, and I took pi- a few pictures there, and those were the first things that I printed. But once I turned around 13 or so, I started taking pictures with my girlfriend, two of my best friends, and we would create scenarios and pose and model. <laughs> um, Did you dress up? Oh my God, of course. We'd, we'd go on my brother's skateboard and just stand on it, you know, in a very dramatic skateboarding pose, because of course we didn't know how to do any of that. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it was very expressive. It wasn't like me framing really creatively and thinking about it. It was a way of capturing something emotional or, or, or uh, theatrical, mm-hmm. but in a, in a minor way. Oh, right. I am remembering one of them. I have my friend look like she's falling down the stairs. I don't know. <laughs> was, that, <laughs> was that posed? <laughs> yes. Yes, indeed. <laughs> so you're 12, you're behind the camera. Where did this lead you? So what it did for me is it became a companion for Mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I ended up, once I went into uh, high school, being very, I always wanted to be an actress. And so, quite frankly, that was how my time was spent, was being cast in the school plays alongside my boyfriend at the time. And so the the photography was there, but my focus was really wanting to do that. But always, you know, I went away to college uh, for a year in Virginia. And again, my camera was always my companion. Then I transferred to Emerson College and realized right away that I didn't want to be an actress. I was very shy and Mm -hmm. I realized, although I really enjoyed my contemporaries and my classes, that was not the direction I was going to be able to go in, which was pretty interesting at, you know, 18 to realize, uh, girl, you don't have the personality for this or the comfort zone. I knew that I didn't want to be an actress Uh and that the photography was very soothing for me. What I wanted to do was graduate college more than anything because no one in my family had done it. So Hmm. I wasn't really focused on what I was going to do, but photography continued to be a stronger hobby. And I ended up during the next three years of college working in a camera store in Boston. And that was very satisfying to me and just sort of made my way through classes. But I did take photo one and photo two with this amazing teacher. And he, he sort of, I remember the first assignment was to shoot something in as many different ways as possible. So very quickly, I took the Salvation Army blazer that I wore and I went into the Boston Gardens with it and I found statues and I started clothing them <laughs> with my coat and photographing it and, and just doing all these weird embarrassing, but I didn't think so at the time, uh, pictures of um, my coat being animated. Okay, so fast (laughs) forward, we go to class and everyone's doing like these macro pictures of things. And I'm creating a stage play with my coat. And I was devastated, except the teacher was amazed by what I had done. And it was the first time that I'd ever felt, like, I don't know how to say this, that I was doing something truly creative and mm-hmm. it didn't have to be like everyone else's. Right, right. And it came, you know, that, that moment, when I published my book, I thanked my high school boyfriend, that art teacher. There were so many people in my life, it's just so funny, that just helped this quiet, very insecure, shy person 
move forward in life. And he's one of the people, you know, where when I looked at what the rest of the class had done, instead of feeling shame, he helped me understand something about myself. Well, he also validated you. Yeah, which I'd never had before. Yeah, that's so. that's huge. That's huge. Yeah, so it was. What did that mean for you? Well, so basically what I started, I'm still in college trying to just get this damn degree. <laughs> and um, I started teaching, creating workshops because it gave me so much joy to take pictures. And at this point, I'm living in an apartment. I have an enlarger in a dark room in my bedroom. I don't even want to think about the toxicity of that now. But I started creating workshops because I felt like I wanted to share the joy that I had discovered with other people that might make a difference in their life. So I started doing workshops for the elderly and I did workshops at the YMCA one summer. I would just create programs. It wasn't about creating fine art. It was about trying to encourage them to express themselves. Okay, so then I graduate college finally Mm -hmm. and no idea what I'm going to do. Move to Cambridge, you know, live communally with a bunch of people. And somehow I get a job with a Title I grant teaching photography in a, well, it was, I'll give you the names from back then, a detention center. But it was a holding cell for adolescents that were too dangerous to not be incarcerated. You know, they needed to be incarcerated, even though at that point in Massachusetts it was against the law, but they were too dangerous. So they kept them there till trial. So my office was a cell on the floor with the boys. Wow. And um, that was pretty life-changing again for me. I loved doing that. And I also coincidentally worked, I got a lot of donations from people. And I I must say that I had the boys help write some of the letters. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So Polaroid gave us a bunch of equipment and GE gave us light bulbs to go on our flash. Wow, wow. And... I got very involved with these young men and thought maybe that's a direction. I can always do my photography. But they sent me out to be a caseworker. Absolutely no training. I had a degree in education, but no social work training. And I quickly realized that the system was larger than I'd ever be able to break. And that just wasn't going to work for me. Mm-hmm. But it simultaneously in my building, I met a jazz musician and fell in love with him and just started photographing uh, jazz musicians and started getting some freelance jobs, shooting kids for a teaching college, Leslie College, and did some stuff for Radcliffe, all self-taught. I don't know how I had whatever to do it, but I did it. And I'm going to fast forward us that I moved to New York with one of the musicians. And that was in 1977. A seminal move. Yeah, it wasn't anything I ever planned on doing. I just wanted to get a job working for the local hippie paper out there, but that never happened, <laughs> you know. But I was madly in love with him and the the culture of jazz, and I was learning so much being around these musicians. Um, it was the first time where I sort of realized that you could do something just because you absolutely loved it and I didn't have to save the world or teach people or make everyone else happy that I could actually try to do that for myself. And he had done all he could do in Boston. You know, the band had a major record label and he felt if he was going to give it a shot. So I moved to New York, you know, we moved together to New York. He says, he always wanted me to come. And I said, no, I think I had to work on you for a while because <laughs> we're still best friends. Mm-hmm. So we moved to New York and I got a job in a coffee shop, but I was too afraid of the cappuccino machine. So that didn't last <laughs> long. And then, <laughs> and then, you know, I had one friend that I knew there, and she was working at Magnum Photo. I don't know if you're familiar with Magnum Photo, but they have a collection and represent the world's most important journalists and photographers. And I got a room in the, I got a a job two days a week in the back room, logging in the pictures that came back from life, from 
all those magazines, Time, Newsweek, everywhere. Uh And I'm holding 11 by 14, 1620 prints by Cartier-Bresson, Danny Lyons. I mean, the best of the best cortege. Yeah, yeah. And and I'm I'm holding them, I'm looking at them. And that was my graduate degree in photography. (laughs) And so then um, my boyfriend had a friend that he went to college with and his friend started a jazz label and he gave Scott, Scott Lee, my friend, he gave him his first assignment and he gave me my first assignment and it was Chet Baker, the jazz trumpeter. Mm -hmm. And so that was the very first job that I had. I shot him in an apartment that belonged to neither of us and whoever dropped us off there left. So it's he and I in like a fairly small apartment on F- above, you know, above FDR Drive. And I'm still, by the way, incredibly shy. And anyone who knows him knows that he had some substance issues. God knows what was going on with him. But I don't think we spoke very much. I remember just saying, okay, could you sit here now? Could you, okay, how about, you know, it was like. Right, if you don't mind. (laughs) I know, I know. And it was like so nerve wracking. And I, I remember handing in the pictures and them asking if I had any color. And I had a few, but, you know, wasn't exposed so beautifully. And so I hand colored some of my pictures. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> Were you taking shots for PR purposes, for an album cover? For what? an album. For this an was album. for uh-huh. uh, an album. Um, this particular record label was sort of making waves. One, it was independent. So that was unusual. Uh, and two, liner notes and packaging was of the utmost importance to him. And it made a sort of a big change in the jazz industry, uh, record industry as well. So it was, it was exciting for both of us. And that was sort of, then I got a few more jobs from him. And then an incredibly new, a new magazine started out in Colorado. And they were doing a story on this particular, uh, record company owner. It was called Artist House and John Snyder was the owner. And they asked if they could publish some of my photos. And that began a five-year career as me being their chief photographer. What was interesting about this magazine was they were, in terms of the music magazine uh, industry, they were breaking all rules. They were covering new age, jazz, folk, country, rock, blues, nobody was doing that. Mm -hmm. And they were kicking ass and they were having fiction in it. So it was a very exciting time in my life. And then, you know, everything kept moving forward. I feel like I need to give you room to speak. No, 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 no. no. But believe me, no one's listening in to to hear me speak. But so, so this, this was all, this trajectory was all a natural act for you. Yes. Yes. And that must have had an impact on you when you saw that you were in demand and that clearly you knew you were on the right path. Well, I knew I was on the right path, but I was scared to death. I mean, I remained shy for a really long time. And I'm, I'm open to say this. I'm now going through all my film, all my files, it's embarrassing. I honestly didn't have that much skill at that time. What I had was passion. You know, a lot was happening really fast. And it was it was challenging for me. But also, I can see that it didn't stop me, you know. There was no catalyst for you to say no. No, I mean, I loved the life. And, you know, I, I, I listen, I couldn't have dreamed of what was happening. Because... After the music, then I got an internship at the Village Voice. That was life-changing. It was life-changing because of photographing. My boss was Fred McDara. I don't know mm-hmm. if anyone knows who that is, but he was the, you know, the original photographer, and he was head of it for the Village Voice, doing all that stuff in the 50s and 60s. And then there was Sylvia Plahi, who couldn't be more abstract. 
James Hamilton, who was straight ahead, but really quirky. Mm. I mean, and, and, and then there was getting a contract with Rolling Stone because they were a little jealous of what was happening with the musician. I mean, how lucky was I? I mean, because sometimes somebody wants you because someone else has them too. I'll be really honest. And you have to adapt and learn to grow. Sure, and, sure. And because I'm doing it on my own, because I'm self-taught, there was gaps. And so often I would have a, a, an assistant teach me something or help me express what I was trying to get out technically. Mm-hmm. Um, but the beginning was the most exciting time in some ways because pressure comes with expectations of the larger your clients became. And, and that was hard. But exciting me. does uh, can also come with terrifying. Oh, really terrifying. Really terrifying. So, so how did that work for you as I rattled off all those bold-faced names? I mean, you're not talking about schlemiels here. You know, <laughs> these, uh, these are the, the best of the best. How, how, how did you incorporate that? Or was it just, hey, I'm just doing my job, man. And, the, and this is one human being <laughs> photographing another. Yeah. I mean, to be honest with you, when I became secure enough technically, mm-hmm. And it's a good thing it wasn't digital back then because I failed math and science. I only passed because of the four people in front of me in all those classes. Oh, I mean, you and I have that in common. Although I yeah, spent many it, summers in summer school trying to Yes, same here. And I think it's called mechanical reasoning. I have to see it. I can't imagine. I have to cut it out and put the pieces there. You okay. know, I can't pre-visualize something that's of any mechanical. So I was really lucky that it was, you know, just develop it, print it, touch it, and all that business. So, but once I did become comfortable with that, and and you know what else? All the the theater training that I had, which wasn't really all that much, it really helped because when that shoot was over. That funny person, all she wanted to do, I used to hide in the cl- storage closet. <laughs> I was freaking exhausted. <laughs> and, and still, you know. It, and the other thing I want to just say is all those people that you mentioned, this was very different when I'm shooting. Remember, I'm shooting at the very end of the 70s and into the 80s. Like in terms of the music photography, the people that came before me, they were hanging out with the band. I was getting 20 minutes, if I was lucky, in a conference room. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. So what I learned was how to be fast Mm -hmm. and also how to disguise, in the best cases, a mundane environment into something that didn't look like that Mm -hmm. and to motivate them as best as I could. Were you taking shots strictly for publications or were you doing album covers or um, so I would posters? Tell you, I would tell you that mostly I was doing editorial, which is my love. Okay. But yes, I did do movie posters. I did do album covers. But see, that was a whole other thing. Now you have an art director. Now you have someone talking about sales. Now you have this. Now you have that. <laughs> Very different business. Right. And it wasn't ever really comfortable for me. And in fact, the most famous album covers I did were by accident and, and, and movie posters. Uh, they were shot for something editorially that were then used mm. for that. And I could never surpass, in my mind's eye, uh, the ones that I did that I just did for me or for the people I was with. So your world is involved with musicians. And then how did you transition to other topics? Go on your website, man, and your book covers just go on for days and days as do your illustrations. What don't you do? (laughs) Uh, Still life. (laughs) I love still life, but I wasn't drawn to it because what it was for me was was the people, you know? Mm -hmm. And as I was saying before, I was really learning to keep my anxiety down. This story may not read well, but was very meaningful to me. I have a very, very, very funny, funny friend. And she made a suggestion, you know, why don't you do blah, blah, blah. Or, and then she would pause and say, or not. <laughs> now that sounds kind of 
you know, nothing. What that allowed me to do at a certain point in my life while I was working on being much more confident was make a suggestion to a subject. And just before they would, you know, had a chance to, I go, or not, you know, so that I threw it out there and then Uh kind of took it back, like didn't, took the levity off of it. Yeah, it was a kind of whatever, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. But I, but I was able to get out what I wanted to do Mm -hmm. in a way that was non-aggressive, that was kind of playful, if you will, because if you only have a short period of time and you really need to get something done that is maybe a little not to their liking or whatever, you know, you can't just blurt it out and you can't, you know, would you mind? You know, I, I, I took power in some ways and, you know, she's gone on to be an unbelievably successful screenwriter, producer. And it's like, she just taught me so much about humor Mm -hmm. and people and not being so serious. And that, that, that was a big change in helping me be more confident, but also I was acting, you know, and that was a big part of it was just fake it till you make it. And Mm. that's what I did. Now I don't have to do that anymore. Because as we age, we're already a little freaking crazy. Yeah, of course. Sure, sure. Which I love. And people tolerate us in a different way, or maybe they don't. But um, (laughs) I think uh, um, we're of a similar age, although, of course, I'm a few years older. But that seems to be my cross to bear with every one of my guests. Was it a natural movement to go from doing musicians to book covers to illustrations? Yeah. So once you're in Rolling Stone... Back in the day, I can't speak for now. I mean, I don't know how worthwhile magazines are, and yeah. I don't know how yeah. young people were doing it the way we did it. Right. But once you're shooting for Rolling Stone, everybody wants you. Well, that's the Bible. I mean, that was the yeah, Bible. Yeah, it was. It was. So nobody knows that, but I spent 10 years shooting babies. <laughs> you and Ann Geddes? <laughs> I didn't do it. I did it for magazines. Doing Actually, covers. she was a guest on the show, and she was absolutely delightful. Yes. And she was she was really such a wonderful trendsetter and inspiration for so many young people because now with no magazines and such, you know, that industry's really boomed and given these young, talented people a place to do work. And she was sort of the, you know, the big mama that did it, mm-hmm. which is very mm-hmm. exciting. Mm-hmm. But Stone so, gave you incredible street cred. It really, surprisingly, I mean, Musician Magazine, that was the first one that did too for mm-hmm. creativity. Rolling Stone did as well. But then they started giving you writers. They started giving you actors and actresses, scientists. Mm. I mean, oh, that was the best. I loved it because that, if you would do someone like that, you would usually go into their location. And I loved going into locations. I was shooting businessmen. There was this great magazine called Manhattan Inc. I don't know if you remember that. And they wanted us to shoot like we were shooting for Rolling Stone. So that (laughs) Uh was remarkable. So Uh I was just really, you know, a lot of us had a lot of luck too and passion. And, you know, I'm going to say something. You you haven't asked me this, but it's something that people always ask me. And and I'm going to ask the question. So, Deborah, did you feel that it was a (laughs) male-dominated field? I'm not being defensive about it. On some level, that has to be a given. We've got the Cindy Shermans and the Annie Leibowitzes, but you were not as ubiquitous as your male counterparts. And the way I answer it could be disappointing to some people, but you didn't think about it. You just were. You were so focused on working. And I don't know if I was lucky, but... I don't know. It just never was some, I'm always like, sort of, I don't know how to answer that question, but I know that my nose was to the grindstone and nothing got in the way of it. I don't find that an unusual response. And if it didn't happen there, I would try there. Mm -hmm. You just kept trying. And it also was based on relationships. And, you know, I had some really strong female relationships that worked in high places. And there what, do you, was, what do you mean by that? Well, like I had a very close friend that I made that was working at Warner Brother Records. And she taught me a lot and I got a lot of work from her. There was a lot of female bonding then. Mm-hmm. And these women were powerful. 
these publicists, holy shit, I learned so much from them. Mm -hmm. So I, and, and I wonder in hindsight, if not during that really important time in my career, I think I was dealing mostly with women. Interesting. Interesting. So it never really came up. And because I don't, how do I say this? You know, I didn't, I dressed a little masculinely because I liked it. I wasn't, I, well, I don't know if you know where I'm going, but it was like, there was never really an issue for me. I know. I understand what you're saying. It wasn't about you. No. Oh, thank you, Sandy. That's the most important thing. I never felt anything was about me. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Yes, absolutely. It sounds to me, as I read about you and as you're talking, one thing just sort of sashayed into another and they all were natural acts. And yeah. how, how fabulous that is, as opposed yeah. to having to climb up a fucking mountain. Yeah. I mean, I'm guessing some of that came from my background. I didn't have any examples in front of me. And in fact, I had a lot of, uh, you know. Naysayers? No. I mean, in my own home, it was pretty dysfunctional. And there were reasons for it. So I didn't really learn from those kinds of things about work. My father didn't enjoy what he did. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, I didn't have, there weren't books in the house. I, I think back on all this now. So really, everything was unfolding was like freaking magical. I mean, I couldn't have imagined it because I didn't know it existed. I understand do you, that. Do you understand? Yeah. I say this every freaking time with a guest. There's some <laughs> strong sense of self that propels you broads, even though you might not have felt that. You have to agree with me on this. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's, I don't know, you know, it's, I'm glad I've learned to acknowledge it before it's too late. Yeah. To relish it and I savor know. it. Yeah. And, and, you know, I've worked my whole life. You know, it's really funny. I, cause I'm going through some old stuff. I put a posting 1980. A page, the first page, January 1st, 1980, in my my financial journal, how much I was spending, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> and it was called came in, went out. <laughs> and most of the people that would have responded would have been my age, just really connected to that time and that time makes you reflect on who you were and who you became. You mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? Yes, absolutely. And I've heard that from other women as well. So each step in your career, teaching, book covers and whatever, was just all natural progressions. Whether they were your most favorite thing to do or not, you were very versatile in your career. You are very versatile. Yeah. And, and that's why when I'm referred to as a music photographer, for example, the uh, PBS aired this British documentary that I'm in that you mentioned, right, right. which I, I do recommend to listeners that have music interests, quite interesting for the most part. And most of those people interviewed the photographers, it's, it's uh, music photographers, that's what most of them, I believe, continue to do. But I didn't continue doing it. Mm -hmm. I started doing other things. And then at some point, I, for 20 years, in addition to other assignments and portraits and all that, you know, um, I started shooting book covers. And I loved doing it because I, no matter what I was shooting, I swear to you, I always found a challenge in it. So yeah, I shot babies, but I also learned how to use strobes and make it look like daylight. I've always been this way with photography is what can I learn from that? So shooting an uninteresting businessman, well, how can I make that interesting? Mm. Um, someone who's, who's, you know, a writer who may not be uh, may have, have a few pounds. How do I help her with 
not letting everyone maybe see. Right. And this is not with retouch. You know, I this got, is before that. I got it. What will be flattering for this woman? Mm -hmm, I want to mm -hmm. make her feel good about herself. And there were things that I taught myself and that I learned. So to me, I took any job I ever got. I didn't, there was very little that I said no to. All right, one job because it was COVID and I didn't want to, still don't want to do it. But, you know, and I think that that was why maybe I branched out too. I wanted to do anything and everything. It was almost like, well, that may not come around again. <laughs> <laughs> well, certainly as I look through the book covers, it's certainly an eclectic grouping, <laughs> Ann Coulter or Barack Obama. You touched every base. What was it like for you to photograph somebody who you didn't like? Okay, okay. Uh, that, that doesn't come in the room with me. Uh, that, that, I, uh, this is my, you know, this is a job and I want to okay. do a good job f for them. Well, that's the and, caddy, uh, me, I guess. You know. Well, when you're face to face with someone, you're two people. Right. First of all, we do not discuss politics. And second of all, there's, you know, some of them. Oh, you mm. ended up just like, oh, that is just sad, man. You know, like watching how they maybe interacted with their children or, I mean, you know. Yeah. Thank God I was just there for a really short period of time. And then sometimes it's really interesting, you know, like the John Boehner shoot. Like he didn't want to give me the time of day and it was a very complicated shoot. But he ended up thanking me. You know, because that's how much it to his surprise. Huh? Yes. Yes. Mm. And a lot of times you have to remember when you're shooting people that have been photographed many, many times, they've had many bad experiences. Right. And so mm -hmm. they like with John, that's how it started off. And it wasn't until I walked him to the elevator that he opened up to me why he was sort of defensive. And I mean, he at one point shooed me away from him. Huh. But, you know, I've had worse things in my life. You know what I mean? It was like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, I didn't yeah. take it personally, but he ended up thanking me because I'm, one thing I am is I'm really fast. <laughs> I didn't uh, used to be, but I am now. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and honestly, digital does that because, you, you know, in the old days you took, you either didn't have any way of knowing if it was right. So you had to cover yourself. Then we would get these Polaroid attachments to our big cameras and then we could see. And now within an instant, I can see if it's great or if I have to correct something. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I go How with that. How often do you feel like the director? Always. Just to personalize this, I really hate having my picture taken. And I don't think I've ever seen a picture of me that I'm happy with. It's just not a natural act for me to pose or to be shot. So here's the thing, Sandy. I'd be happy to photograph you. But here's the thing. It may take more than one time mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. I need to break you down, your fear of being photographed, how you feel about yourself, what, how mm -hmm. you think you look, how you think you photograph, because you've seen shitty photographs of yourself. And for sure. I, and I'm, I'm doing this right now with a friend. You know, we met through work, but we did a shoot. We got something, but she was so tense, and we could talk about it, mm -hmm. that we're going to do it mm -hmm. again, and we're going to change it up. We're going to, because we couldn't do it in one day, and we're going to do it outside or in an interior where there's things that distract her, you know, and that I can use. Mm. But it, it, it has happened. You know, I was photographing somebody, and it wasn't working well. And it was the art director was there and they've given me a lot of work. And I'm like, this is the first time in my life. I don't think I can do this. Mm. And she wasn't happy with it. So I stopped the shoot, regrouped everybody. And I'll just tell you technically what I did. I just shot her in daylight with a really soft light blew a lot of stuff out of her face mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. she loved it. I got her back and that was the cover. As a photographer, and I'm not one of these people that has a million tricks and I'm not someone who can go fix you up and, and retouch. So for me, the challenge is still as if I'm working for film.
I want to nail it while I'm there. I can fix little things. But a lot of it is just trusting the person you're with and being patient, Sandy. You know, you have to sometimes surrender to it and maybe doing it again because you now understand it a little better and you have confidence in who's working with you. I'll offer you a photo shoot after COVID calms down and we'll see, (laughs) see what we can do. But you know what? We can teach ourselves how to smile, actually. Really? Yeah. I mean... I, I would always take pictures, like a quick shot afterwards with the subjects. I, I can throw that smile on in a half a second and not care about it and always have a good picture. Oh, that's well, that's reassuring. Yeah, really. because I, I disassociate. I know that a full smile looks great on me. And, uh-huh. and, and, even and doesn't it, look phony or forced. No, because I just pull it all out and I smile. I don't give a <laughs> shit. <laughs> I also mentioned that you teach. Does that give you great joy? So it does give me great joy, but it's only because of the class that I created. I only teach one class. They asked me to propose others. But this class that I designed teaches my students a little bit of everything. So what do I need to teach another class for? And basically, it's uh, about I start at the turn of the century with the first celebrity photographer, a French man called Nadar, very interesting character. And mostly how he shot in his studio was with window light. Hmm. Do you know that's one of the hardest assignments the classes have? It's the first and the hardest. Wow. What is window? You know, they don't get it. And it's window where there's no light coming in, no direct sunlight. So it's a soft, soft light. And then... This is going to sound, I'm, I'm, this, is, this will move forward quickly, but I have to just set it. And then the second assignment, I make everybody go to the hardware store and buy those tin can lights with a clip that painters use. It's a round reflector. Yep. Everybody yep. has to buy one, buy a light bulb, and you use that as your light source. And that subject is Irving Penn. And so Mm -hmm. I do a demonstration because he would often use in the beginning, particularly one light source. Now, not everybody, I'm open to all levels. That's the other thing is I'm much more excited by having a diversified group of experience because we can learn from each other. And my classes are all Zoom now. Mm. So I I begin with uh, doing a keynote presentation of this artist, talk about it. So then they do that. Then we did... And the next one is an environmental portrait, but I'm basically bringing us all through every decade almost. And even a lot of my students, and I'll say most, have no idea who these brilliant, genius people were. Wow. So you're getting a lesson and, and it's incredible. I mean, it's so exciting for me. You know, I've learned to diversify the list because I have a 30-year-old daughter who makes sure I'm doing everything correctly, <laughs> if you <laughs> yes. will. Yes, don't embarrass me. Yeah. Constant mm-hmm. criticism. But yes. mm-hmm. it's very exciting to see them, once they surrender, to jump in. And mm-hmm. for those that have sophisticated equipment, they can use it. For those that don't, I taught them how to use a regular light in different ways to use that. But so it's not off of technique, it's off of style. It it involves style, technique, cajoling people, uh, Mm -hmm. and doing a lot of self-portraits during COVID. But I love it. I absolutely love it. Do you Um, never leave the house without a camera? I always leave the house without a camera. (laughs) So I want to just mention one thing to you quickly is you mentioned the illustrators. So I want to tell you what that project was about. So if you go on my website, which is just my name, I have a section called illustrators. And that came out uh, right during the election in 2017. I mean, no surprise what side I I am on. Um, I was very surprised by the lack of response with people, celebrities, with real weight that were saying things, you know, that were sharing, like, do you get what's going on right now? Mm -hmm, But where mm -hmm. I did find it 
was on my social media and I saw all these incredibly strong illustrations. I knew nothing about illustrators. We were only on the same social media feed because we shared art directors from book covers, right? Okay. And I'm like, holy shit, I want to photograph these illustrators, people that are trying to make a change through their, their hand, through their pen. Through their art. And I want to shoot them in black and white, just like I did my beginning jazz people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm not bringing any equipment. And I'm just going in there, just a camera and me and where they live, where they work. So I've done around 40. And that was a real passion project. I wasn't working as much. And I was feeling, in some ways, what I felt when I first started shooting jazz musicians. Hmm. Like, these people are life changers. They can be. They're getting the word out there through, through humor, through drama, you know, with their hand. Hmm. So that that is why that project. I would love to continue it. I'd love to actually do a book of it. I've uh, come up with a title, but I'm I'm still waiting on it. So so because I want to shoot more. I wasn't able to get to the West Coast before COVID, right. but it's so it was very important to me. They're so full of passion and brilliance. These people. Uh, so anyway, that was that. I want you to look back over your career and tell me how that impacts you. From the very beginning, from even 12, what resonates with you? What do you see? What do you feel? Well, I'm still working on that in therapy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, the problem is, and I probably need to discuss it in therapy, it's hard for me. I I would say this word, but it's the wrong word. I'm so modest. And that's what people say the most to me. And in is and it I, modest or is it self-effacing or? I don't know. It's just, well, well, you know, it's like, I don't know what to say. I mean, I'm proud of myself. I'm proud that I set an example to my daughter. I'm happy when I can inspire other people. I guess that's why I like teaching. Mm-hmm. But I'm always nervous as all heck to do these kinds of talks. I don't like show-offs. <laughs> <laughs> but you have to acknowledge this oeuvre. I do. I do. Yeah. It, it still surprises me, should I put it that way? Because if something happens to you, good in this case, you know, the thing you have to remember, Sandy, it was hard and it was hard on me. Mm. I mean, mm-hmm. it sounds exciting, but I had a stomach ache my whole 30s. And, you know, a lot of people in the industry could be really cruel. You could be rocking it, and then they stop using you, and they hire your Uh ex-boyfriend. I mean, I know that sounds silly, but a lot of hurtful shit happened. I don't think think it sounds silly at all. But I think people confuse visual success with... I wasn't Keith's friend, Keith Richards. Right. My equipment broke while I was shooting Mick Jagger. Somebody left a photo shoot. Now, admittedly, he was on heroin, but, you know, I didn't get to finish it. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know. You know, it's like I have those memories as well, and they don't overpower it, but they are part of what made this career and, you know, I guess one's at an age where you can, or, or, or not celebrate it, but acknowledge it. And, and I do. And you know what? It's delightful. I don't say no to much, except when people continually ask to use my images for free. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, well, that would be a pain in the ass Well, that also. happened just yesterday. And you know what? It's just, it, I think social media, people being able to use our photos on Instagram, they've really done a disservice to the creative process. I mean, I think the music industry protects you a little more than my industry does. Mm. Um, Mm. I'm just saying that I'm the type of person that would say yes to anything and anyone that asked, but something happened in our industry where our work became really devalued. And I have Mm -hmm. to 
fight for that sometimes. Mm. You know, I, 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 I still, you know, I have expenses still. <laughs> sure, sure. So sure. I don't know if that answers your question. No, it does answer my question, but I do have one more to ask you. Who would you like to take your picture? Oh, I asked that person once, but it was too expensive. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, do they have to be alive? Could they be someone who died? I don't care. Okay. I, I have to give me a second. Um, gosh, it would be so many people. Oh, I Well, that's, know. I guess, is that like picking your favorite child? You don't have to pick just one. No, I can't. I don't know. I, I'm sort of at a blank. Okay. Uh, you should have sent me that in a note. It's such a good question. <laughs> well, you can always come back and give the answer. Well, oh, all right. This is really stupid, and I can't remember his name. Oh, I know. I only remember his first name, Paolo somebody. He just did the picture of Kate, the 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 woman who's married to... The prince. You mean her 40th birthday pictures? I loved it. I saw those. Yes. Those were beautiful I'll shots. take one of those. Yeah, I'm with you. Because yeah, you know why? Because it's very turn of the century. Yes. Mm -hmm. And he's a beautiful, mm -hmm. creative, inventive photographer. And I never would have thought of him. But since I'm on the spot and I, love, I don't like to not complete a task, um, <laughs> I, I thought that was stunning. I mean, even the styling on it. The bow and the lighting and how he he manipulated it to look old and it was just just absolutely beautiful. No, so, I agree. I agree. Have you done much in the way of fashion photography? When I, I did, but it wasn't high fashion. I did a lot of teen fashion, mm. and I had a clothing a discount clothing store client for maybe eight years. But no one would ever know this except that. <laughs> <laughs> uh huh. Uh -huh. So, but it was fun. I learned a lot from that, you know, and I, and I, I have to tell you, I do laugh a lot at work. Mm. Um, and, uh, it may not have been exhibited now, but I can be quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta tell you, Deborah, this was nothing short of fascinating. I was intimidated before I met you. You did very well prompting me. Sometimes it's really painful doing these interviews, but you did a great job. I don't think I've ever talked this much. <laughs> My one obnoxious line is, if I find you interesting, other people will find you interesting. I want to know about this, and I've learned a hell of a lot, and you were just nothing more than sheer delight, and the honesty and the openness was just was wonderful. Oh, do you say that to all the girls, though? No. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, thank <laughs> there you. There have definitely been times when it's like, Thank God this ended. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I'm really glad we were able to do this. And you did a great job. And don't forget, you have a ticket for a photo session. Oh, well, I don't I know. I know you're going to put it I off. I don't know about that. Well, you know, I'm going to sure tell I'm you something gonna... right now. You should do it. But we're going to wait. When this lighter and brighter, I'm going to prove you wrong. Well, all right. I'll take you up on that offer. Thank I you. I don't know that you're going to be successful, but I will take the challenge. How's that? That's okay? very good. Well, thank it's you so much. It's terrific to meet you, Deborah. Thank you so much. Thank you. Join us for another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. <laughs>